I'd heard about prostate cancer. Most men have. I even knew about the heightened risk for black men, which, when adjusted, means that it affects one in three of us. One in three. But this was only meant to happen to old men. Other men. (laughs) That wasn't until it happened to me. I couldn't make these stories up. These are the stories, the good, the bad and the unbelievable about my prostate cancer journey. So strap yourself in and let's go. Episode 1, Pops. The last time I saw my dad, I was seven years old, waving goodbye to him from a window, expecting he'd soon return. That's what he said, and that's what my seven-year-old self believed. I was actually 43 when I saw him again, and there, standing in his hallway as he removed his jacket, I glimpsed the top of an adult nappy. I pretended not to notice. It's hardly the epitome of casual conversation, is it? Nice weather today. Pops, where did you get that nappy from? No, I would file it at the back of my mind under useless information. Only, it wasn't useless, but it would be some years later before it all made any kind of sense. Three months before this meeting, I had a message on Facebook. Is your dad called Richard Ellis? It was from a woman called Patricia, based in America. Of course, I shut her down with a simple no, assuming it was another elaborate scam trying to lure me in. But a few days later, she messaged me again. This time she wasn't asking me any questions. She was already stating the answers. Your dad's name is Joseph Richard Ellis. Your full name is Peter X Ellis. And your date of birth is XYZ. Now she had my attention. Patricia left the number and I called her a few days later. She was lovely and had been a friend of my dad for many years. He was a bit of a technophobe, and he had asked her for help in trying to find me a few months before. She gave me his number and said she would only tell him she had found me if I wanted her to. I said it was fine, and I would call him. So fine that it took me a whole week to actually dial the number. In that week, I stared at those 13 digits over and over, willing them to give me answers for all the questions I had. Numbers stared back, until finally, the staring match was over, and I decided to pick up the phone. My heart was beating away like a kettle drum. We spoke for over two hours in that first call. And wonderful as it was, It set the tone for future conversations. You see, 
He was the type of man who'd like to keep the peace and have a simple life rather than rocking the boat and making waves. So he didn't really answer my questions as to where he'd been all my life. From what he did tell me, I suspected that he hadn't contacted me sooner because his wife, who had died some months back. This was confirmed to me by my new sister, Pauline, who was as oblivious about me as I was about her. She had grown up with him in America, yet his passivity had created a distance between them. I tried to ask him those important questions that the seven-year-old boy in me needed answers to, but he would twist and turn and um and ah. It became very apparent that I was not going to get the responses I wanted, so I just had to leave it. A few weeks later, he sent the airfare for me to visit. I boarded a plane to New York to see my dad for the first time in 35 years. I can't remember much of the flight, a movie I wasn't really watching, a meal I didn't really enjoy, a blanket that somehow made its way into my bag. But my anxious thoughts subsided as soon as we stood in arrivals, hugging for a long time. It was a long time coming. He was excited and animated. It was all the Christmases and all the birthdays for him. He stopped off at his best friend's house so he could show me off, his son. After that, it was about a 25 minute drive to Brooklyn where he lived. His home was a large two-story brownstone in a nice neighborhood. He had a basement that was all his. A proper man cave that along with the pipework and boiler housed a self-contained flat. And the workshop. It was that kind of workshop that made you want to roll up your sleeves and break something just so you could fix it again. He lived on the ground floor and above that he had two tenants in two self-contained flats above that. <laughs> His living room was like stepping back in time. The style of every West Indian home in the 70s. There was the large, imposing cabinet with the good glasses that no one ever touched. There was an armchair and a three-seater settee, which were covered in factory-moulded plastic covers. Think thick enough to make a sound when tapped. I looked down to see my dad had taken the plastic covering one step further. He'd actually covered the entire living room floor. I mean... If the brother wanted to do away with me, or steal an organ, no one would actually know I was there. It was at the door to this room that he removed his jacket. It was at the door to this room that I glimpsed a future I'd rather do without. <laughs>